Welcome to the Potter's Roundtable, a monthly podcast where we share our passion for the ceramic arts and a collection of topics specific to potters. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Enjoy the show. So today, what I'm going to do this, the, the, the talk, what I want to talk about today was wood-fired kilns, but this is actually part of a three-part series I'm going to do on kilns, and I'm sort of doing, planning on doing them in historical order. So we'll start off with wood-fired kilns, and then next month it'll be gas kilns, and then next month after that it'll be electric kilns, and possibly after that we might do a raku. I haven't decided on that yet, but at least it's going to be wood-fired and gas-fired and then electric in terms, and, and the same kind of format, talking about what, what does the kiln consist of, how do you operate them, what are typical problems, and this sort of thing, different designs of the kilns and a little bit of the history of the kilns. Um, so this will be in, in three part, in a sort of part, first of three part series. The other thing I wanted to mention is that I, 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 I build this as, I'm calling an introduction to pottery kilns because basically I wanted to attract people that of, with different levels of interest or experience with, with kilns and wood kilns in particular. I didn't want to make it seem like it was only for people that already had a lot of experience. But if you've had experience and you have you know, you know, deep, very detailed and specific questions, that's fine too. The, the discussion doesn't have to be limited just to sort of more introductory. This is meant as an overview, really. There's only so much you can do in seven hours. No, it won't be that long. But, 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 uh, so, okay, so first, I guess to start, one of the questions is, since we're starting way back with the beginning of kilns, is basically, what is a kiln? And you can define a kiln as an enclosed space in which you can fire pots in a controlled way. An enclosed space for firing pots. And the key there is control. Even though when, we, when you talk about um, the history of, of kiln designs and the history of pottery, the, 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 the main theme that you will talk about as, as kiln designs evolved was gaining more control over the firing. And even though historically, they didn't, people didn't even know the science behind or the technology behind the kiln structure. By a lot of trial and error, they were basically still improving the control. And we'll talk about that a little bit as, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the history of kiln design. So really, the, the, we need kilns for, really, there are two main reasons why we need a kiln or a, a structure that you'd call a kiln. And the main one is control, so that we can actually have good control for the firing and be reproducible. If you think about the history of firing, where basically the work was made for primarily for functional work for production, reproducibility was really, really important. So if, if your livelihood depended on it, it was to be able to continue to make serviceable, workable, saleable items. So control was, it was primary importance in, in terms of making things. And the second reason why we need a, we need a kiln structure is to, is to reach high temperatures. Without a kiln structure and without some of these designs, you simply can't get above, much above low bisque temperatures. So you need the structures to attain some of these higher temperatures, and you need the higher temperatures to accommodate different kinds of clays that are found around the world. Certain clays, for instance, in, in, in China, in different parts of China and Asia, simply can't be fired usably to low fire temperatures. They won't mature enough. So you need to develop the, these higher firing temperatures, and you need the kilns to do it. Up until, and, one thing that, and one thing to remember also, we've kind of gotten spoiled in, nowadays, is that up until the 20th century, all pottery was fired by burning something. It might have been wood, it might have been grass, it might have been dung, but something burn burning, burnable, whatever it was, depending on where you were in the world, that's the only way you could fire pottery. So the introduction of coal and gas and, and now electric is, is really a, a, an, an amazingly recent in, innovation compared to the long history of firing pottery. 
So I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of fuel burning kiln designs. And I'm saying fuel burning, not just wood burning in this case, because it could be anything. It could be when they started out, they weren't, they weren't necessarily fuel. A lot of it was they were firing with grass or they were firing with twigs or they're firing with, with dung. Um, so the first, the first, and, the, and these, these, are, these different designs, have, they found archeological records of them. So they have good, exam, good documented records of, these different, of examples of these different kind of firings. And the first, the earliest firings um, were basically just an open bonfire, either on a, on, a, on a flat surface on the ground or in a very shallow pit, the, there'd be a layer of fuel that was put down, whatever it was, and pots were laid on that, and then more fuel was put on that. And so there was a pile of just alternating layers of pots and fuel and pots and fuel. Um, and then it was lit. And in some cases, um, the pile might have been, instead of just the, the final layer of fuel on top of the pots, there might have been a, 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 the pile might have been covered with ashes from the previous fire, because they realized that people early on realized that you needed to do something to contain the heat. So they, they, people might have piled ashes from the previous fire on top of the fuel to sort of cover it, or dirt, or even broken pots. So essentially, they were, they were again, a, a, an early form of control to keep some of the heat, so the heat loss wasn't so, so much, and you'd keep the heat in. But that was the earliest type. And these, a, a structure or a fire like that is really only capable of low earthenware temperatures. We're talking like cone 019 to 016. That's about the best you can do with it, which is, in temperatures, is like 1,200 to 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Re really, so you'd make really low you know, low-fired, very porous, fairly weak pottery, still serviceable, but, but very, very low temperature. Um, historical examples, I don't know whether you're familiar with Japanese Joman pottery, very early, this is like 8,000 BCE. There are some beautiful examples of classic Japanese pottery, and this was fired in this method. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not very, a lot of it was, was, um, was um, statuary or was, was work for temple work, temple was, you know, symbolic work, it wasn't so much functional but very beautiful. And, and all Native American pottery was fired this way. And this, the thing is about, what's interesting about all these techniques or these different stages in the evolution, they're still used somewhere in the world. We've evolved, in, in the Western, Western world we've evolved and in, and in industrial settings we've evolved past them, but almost all of these techniques you can still find people firing um, this way, either because of tradition or because of necessity. Um, the first really primitive kilns, they, from the evidence that I found, they date back to about 8,000 or 7,000 BCE. And they found really good examples in Iraq of these things. And all they were, all it consisted of, was a circular wall or a circular enclosure of stones, basically. It would be a ring of stones that might be a foot or two high, and there'd be holes in the base of the wall at different places around the base for the fire. So that they just, they'd build this circular sort of pit, only it would be above ground, just of stones, pile the pots in there, and then build fire, and then have holes in the, in the wall at the base with fires around the outside. So the fire, the fire would come in through the holes, go up through the pots, and just rise out through the top. So the, the, the wall did, did, so they were basically what was considered top, if you want to talk about terminology, it was a top-loaded structure. You'd just have this circular ring of stones, and you'd pile the pots in there. Um, and occasionally, in some cases, again, the pile, once the pots were piled into this, this corral of stones, the, pot, the pile would be covered with dirt or shards of broken pots. And they, as I said, they found some really good examples of these structures in Iraq and other places in the Middle East. The first true kilns, if you want to call it a true kiln, 
Um, there's some good examples from Mesopotamia around 4000 BCE. And what, what, what they're defining, historians and archeologists are defining it as a true kiln because at this point, there was a separate chamber for the fire and the ware. So that the, the, they, the fire, unlike the bonfire, even the previous one where they were in, in, in direct contact, in this case, you could still have this, this ring of stones, but you'd have some kind of a floor and the pots would be on the floor and the fire was beneath it. So that there was an effort made to separate the pots from the, from the, the fire, the heat source. One of the reasons they figured for that is because with the pots in intimate contact with the fire, you'd have high losses. You'd have, because the, there'd be no way to control the heat up rate very, very, very easily. So you'd get a lot of cracking and, lo and losses. And so by separating it, you could cut some of your breakage losses. You'd have, again, you'd have better control and you'd, you'd reduce your losses. And so this is still, this would be considered, if you want to call this the first, this would be considered an updraft kiln because the fire is, the fire is at the base of the kiln the, the, the heat or the flames travel up through the wear and exit through the top, just basically straight up. And there wasn't any chimney or anything, they didn't need one because the, flame, the heat and the flames were just rising up through the work, up through the wear. These kind of structures, they, they assume, can, could, could have reached slightly higher temperatures on the order of, let's say, 1650 to 1920 degrees Fahrenheit, which is roughly cone 010 to 04. So now we're getting into well what we consider modern, what we would now would consider modern bisque temperatures. The next, the next sort of, some of these are arbitrary, but the next sort of major addition that was done to these structures was the addition of a permanent roof. Instead of, instead of now depending on dirt or shards or, or ashes from a previous firing to cover the tops of the pots, the, the, the circular wall now added some kind of a permanent dome structure over it. And so that's a, that's a big step in terms of the kiln development and in terms of being able to contain the heat. So there was some kind of a dome structure. And the best, some of the best examples of these are in ancient Greece and Rome. This is, this is the kind of kiln that all the pottery in ancient, in ancient Greece and ancient Rome basically was fired in, some kind of a structure where there'd be a fire below, there'd be a separation like a perforated floor, still circular, all circular in design. There'd be a perforated floor, the fire would be above it, would be below it, the pots, and now there'd be a dome over the pots. So again, they, they, all, the, all the ancient, and they found really good examples of, these, of the Grecian and the Roman kilns that this, this thing. And they, again, and this, this is interesting, this, this basic design of a fire below and, and a, a fire chamber or a firebox, a ware chamber and, a, and some kind of a roof with, continued for centuries after, the, after this, you know, even though it started back ancient Greece, it continued, and they're still being used today in parts of the Middle East and parts of the world. This is, this is a sort of a classic updraft kiln. And this continued even into England and Europe into the, into the 19th century. There are kilns that were called bottle kilns and a lot of different kind of kilns were used by the English potteries. Basically just a slightly different version of the exact same kiln design, just a plain updraft kiln. You'd have some kind of a, a floor supporting the pots, you'd have a fire below it, and you'd have an exhaust, you'd have a roof with holes or, or a short chimney above it. And, so that, and that's still being used today. And then later on, this same design was adapted to burn coal because the same, they'd have, they'd have like fire boxes or ports around the outside where the fire could be located. And it was easy to convert it to coal usage, especially in England and some of the other countries. So the same design was used for coal. A different approach that was a tr to, the, to the direction that the work was going in the Middle East and in Europe were, uh, was occurring in, in Asia 
um, starting a long time ago. And these were called bank or cave kilns. And the earliest ones were literally caves dug into the side of an embankment. And if they were dug into the embankment, you could, if here's, if here's an embankment, they could dig a cave that basically looked like that with a sloping floor. And then the, the kiln, the, this, this cave itself, and the pots would be set in here, the kiln itself provided the draft like a chimney. So the fire was built in the mouth down here. The pots were loaded on, they, and there were stones set in here because it was a sloping floor. There were stones set in like steps. The pots were mounted on the steps. And then there was an exhaust at the top. And so basically, it provided, it was, it was just literally dug into the earth, but it, the, 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 the design with the incline provided essentially a chimney, provided a path for the flame to move up naturally. And the great thing about this was, is that after a while, the fire would harden the dirt. So there weren't any bricks used. It's just the, the building the fire inside the earth would harden the earth and essentially make a stable structure. And they found really good examples of these. Again, this and these, some of these early ones go back, like in China, go back as far as 3000 BCE. And then what they did was, um, basically, this, was, this evolved, this, this idea of this, this cave kiln or bank kiln evolved into very similar designs that were done above ground. So this became, this became sort of what was known as a climbing kiln because the, kiln, the floor of the kiln is at a slope. And a whole series of different designs evolved in Thailand and China and Japan and Korea, the whole, all different parts of Asia, based on the idea of an inclined tube some kind of a, t a tube design. And in, some and in this case, now they were built out of brick or stones. And in some cases, the, the, the tube was partially, they, they wouldn't dig it out anymore, they'd build it. But in some cases, it was built in a trench so that it was partially below ground for insulation and also for support. Um, or in some cases, it was sitting on the ground. And initially, they were all also, again, single chamber. They were just they were some kind of a tube structure set on an incline. And then over the years, also, a lot of different modifications, depending on the country or locality, evolved where they'd put in different structural supports inside or semi-partitions, and they were starting to divide up the tube into sort of different areas. One of the features of these long tube designs was that if you had a fire at the mouth, at the base, you couldn't get good temperature distribution all the way up a long tube. So they'd have stoking ports, holes in the side of the tube, all the way up along the length of the kiln, Whereas if they started the fire at the bottom and then, the temp and then they got pretty hot at the bottom, further up the tube it was cooler. So a little bit further up the tube there'd be a hole in the side of the tube where they'd throw in more wood and essentially move the fire up the tube. And then they'd move it further up the tube. So there'd be all these different ports or holes along the tube where you could continue to move the fire up the tube. And this is also basically, this, this is the same as essentially the Japanese anagama. And the Japanese anagama was basically probably one of the closest designs mimicking the original cave because it's, it's kind of shaped the same way that the cave structure was with just a single large sort of swelling chamber that narrows down to what would be a, a short chimney at the back end. But again, on an incline. So they, none of these kilns had really tall chimneys attached to them at the back end because the kiln essentially provided the dread. The kiln essentially was the chimney because it was on an incline. So the flame would naturally travel up the incline. But these, these early ones were still basically all single chamber. Then the next sort of stage in after this was multi-chamber. 
was dividing up this long tube, and they found that it was even more efficient, is if you have to do side stoking, basically, to, to have the fire move down the tube so that the tube gets heated up, instead, why not break up the whole tube into a series of connected chambers, and each, each chamber then is fired like its own kiln. And that's, that's the famous Naboragama design. And that's a series of, if these are still all inclined, that's a series of connected chambers, and it looks sort of something like this. If here's the ground, like that. And each chamber, each one of those is, is essentially its own kiln. But the reason why this became really efficient was this is, this is actually now moving into a different design of kiln, what was considered actually a downdraft kiln. Each chamber is a downdraft. And what that means, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but what that means is the flame enters the chamber, goes up to the top, and then it doesn't e exit at the top like an updraft. It has to go back down to the bottom of the chamber to exit. So the flame is, it pulls the, the flame back down to the bottom of the chamber before it goes out. So this, you'd have a fire down here, so the flame would travel like this, and then it would go down, and then it would enter the next chamber, and you'd also have a stoke hole here. So you'd have fl hot flame coming from the first chamber, plus new fuel going to the second one, going to the third one. Incredibly efficient. Because you have the, each one of these is fired as a separate kiln, but the, the hot gases coming out of it are, are led into the next chamber. So it's, and, and then each one of these is loaded separately. There's a door, there'd be a door in each one of these. So each one of these you treat as if it's its own little kiln. But you put these in succession, and some of these, again, these, this might be 16 or 20 chambers long. So when this chamber reached its, its temperature, you'd stop stoking this one and you'd move to this one, and you'd move to that one. But the heat isn't being wasted because when the heat exits this one, it's not just leaving, it's going in, it's going in to help heat the next one. So incredibly efficient. And people, and these, this is the design, people still build kilns like this today. Because it's, it's a really efficient design. And the, so this, this, but this idea of a downdraft, where, this, where, the, where the, the, the draft or the direction of the flame is moving is coming up and then going back down through the work, we're gonna talk more about this in a minute, is very efficient because you're keeping the flame in the kiln for a longer period of time. One of the things we'll talk about a little bit later is one of the features of a wood kiln is it has a very long flame, meaning that when the wood burns, you don't just get the hottest part of the flame right near the wood. It might be three or four feet or longer past it. It takes a long time for the gases from the wood and the air to mix and to burn efficiently and produce the greatest heat. So the longer you can keep this long flame into the kiln, the more heat you're gonna get out of it. So you don't want a kiln where the flame goes into the kiln and leaves you might actually be generating most of the heat after it leaves the kiln. So this is also a good design because you're keeping the flame in the kiln as long as possible and extracting as much heat from it as you can. So this, but now this, this, and this idea of a downdraft, this wasn't just in Asia. There were European and American designs that were also using this idea of keeping the flame in the, in the chamber as long as possible and extracting as much heat. And you may have seen some of these around. They're called beehive kilns and they were used in Europe and they look, they have a dome roof like this, and they're circular in outline. And typically, they might have a chimney, a separate chimney, and you'd have, you'd have fire boxes around the outside where the fire was. The fire would go in, through the, and the work is stacked in here, and exit through the floor, and then it's connected by an underground tunnel to a chimney. 
And this was a really common kind of kiln that was used to fire bricks. These are all over. There are some of these kilns still in existence in the botanical gardens in Washington, DC. There are three or four of them right up here in Martinsburg at Continental Brick Company. And, and the, the point about this was you could have several kilns connected to the same chimney. So this was a downdraft. The firebox would come in, the flame would rise up, be pulled by the draft from the chimney down through the thing, out through the floor and out through the chimney. And so you might have three or four kilns of these beehives clustered around one chimney, all connected to the same chimney. But you're still using the downdraft principle. That was the point. So this was just this was a European slash American version of using this downdraft principle. And that and that this is this is this and this, so this this sort of brings us and again these designs these designs are still being used in places and people are still building kilns with these designs because it's a fairly efficient design. And there are two if you talk about current now kiln designs, there are at least two different ways of talking about and I've introduced it a little bit of talking about the different kind of kiln designs. And one of them is based the first is based on the flame path direction. And I'll, let me mention this again now is that when you actually burn wood and let's talk about wood in this case. What actually happens is when you put the wood into when you start a fire and you put the wood into the fire, the first thing you're doing is you're actually cooking the wood. You're cooking the wood and you're cooking gases, flammable gases out of the wood. And the first thing that's burning are those flammable gases. And when the flammable gases, there's no more gases coming out of the wood, but you'll end up with with his charcoal and then the charcoal burns. So there are multiple stages in the way the wood burns. But when the gases are, are being cooked out of the wood, they have to mix with the air that's coming into the kiln in order to burn. And that's why that's what takes a long time, because there's nothing in the kiln. You don't have fans or blowers or anything to get a good. There's no structure in there. You just have air streaming in and gases streaming out of the wood. So it takes a long time, relatively long time for the air to mix with all that flammable gas and, and burn and produce heat. So, so you can have a, you can have the flame from starting from the wood can be feet long, three, four, five, six feet longer before them. It's really burning efficiently and producing a lot of heat. So anyway, based, so there there are three basic designs for for any for any fuel burning kiln based on the on the flame path direction, and those are updraft, crossdraft, and downdraft. Mm -hmm. And so. And nowadays, most people, people are not, at least in this country and in the more advanced areas, are not building updraft wood-fired wood kilns. Those are the early ones that I talked about where you have a circular pit and the work and the, air and the gas would just travel up through the wear and out the top. Most of the people are building what are called cross-draft or down-draft designs. Cross-draft is literally that, that essentially, if you have a shelf of pots, the flame is hitting them sideways. And so in a long straight tube, like some of these early dragon kilns, basic, excuse me, basically they were cross-draft designs because <laughs> the flame was just going sideways past all the pots and exiting the kiln. But in these smaller chambers, now you can develop this downdraft idea where the flame comes in and goes up to the top of the chamber and then is pulled back down through the chamber, down past the pots, and then exits. That's a downdraft. And the downdraft is probably the most efficient. And this is what enabled a lot of the Asian potters to reach these incredibly high temperatures, cone 10 and above, is the downdraft. Because given the size of the chamber, that keeps the flame in the chamber the longest. It creates the longest path. The flame, if the flame comes in toward the bottom and has to rise all the way up and go all the way back down before it can exit, that provides, rather than going straight across the chamber, that gives you the longest path, which means the flame is in the chamber the longest amount of time, which means you're getting the most amount of heat out of it. So that's the most efficient design. 
is the downdraft because the flame is being kept in the chamber the longest. You're, you're, you're keeping it, you'd like to keep the flame there indefinitely and get all, until it's cold and then let the gases out. Well, you can't do that. But the longer you can keep it in the chamber to extract the heat, the better off you are. And the other thing to think about is, which maybe I should have mentioned earlier, but when you're, when you're a wood kiln or any kind of, but especially wood, but gas is also true, is that you basically have a river of flame moving through the kiln. That's the easiest way to think about it. It's like a river of flame. And the kiln design and the way you stack it affects the path of that, this river. And, 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 how, and the longer you can keep that river in the kiln and get the heat out of it, the, the, the more efficient the kiln is going to be. The, the less fuel you'll use, the higher temperature you can reach. So yeah, anyway, so, you, have the, so you, can, you can think about kiln designs in terms of those features, like what's the flame path? Is it an updraft? Is it a downdraft? Or is it a crossdraft? And then the other thing is the number of wear chambers. Is it a single chamber um, kiln, or are there multiple chambers? And the multiple chambers could be Nabora Gama, where they're all the same kind, but people are also building hybrid kilns where you might build an anagama in the front and then put a, an, arch chamber, an arch type of kiln on the back end. People have been doing that increasingly, where you don't just repeat the same type of chamber. You'll have maybe three different types of chambers connected to one another. You're still taking advantage of the fact that you're keeping the flame in the kiln for a longer period of time, but you change the design of the chamber for one reason or another. Then let's talk about some prime, what I'm calling primary design features of wood-burning kilns. And there are really three things you need to talk about, or three different parts of the structure. The heat source, the wear chamber, and the chimney. And if, we're, and if we're not talking about updraft kilns, then you have to have a chimney. Because basically, a wood if, and if the, the closest analogy maybe is like a fireplace. What's, what's drawing in the air to burn the wood is the chimney. The chimney gets hot, the air, and the, air, the, the air in the chimney, the chimney gets hot and the gas, and the hot gases in the chimney, the, that wants to rise up because it's lighter, it's lighter density than the air around it. And so that creates a draft that pulls in air through the kiln. That's why the kiln is, works, basically. It wouldn't burn without a chimney because you need to create that draft. You need something to pull in the, the, the new air to burn, heat up the gases, the gases ride, and they continue to pull in more air. So with a, with a downdraft especially, and with a crossdraft, you need a chimney. An updraft, you don't because the kiln itself is the chimney, basically. The hot gases can rise naturally by themselves. As far as the heat source, this also has multiple parts. There's generally what's called the combustion chamber or the firebox. And this is actually where, the, where the, the wood, in this case, is loaded in, into the firebox. And you need something in the firebox to support the wood. Again, this depends on different designs and different efficiencies, but generally you just don't want to make a pile of wood on the bottom of the kiln. That's not the most efficient way to burn the wood. Because when you're burning wood, or when you're burning anything, you want to mix the fuel with the air, right? The more you can, the more, the more efficient, you, more efficiently you can mix air and fuel, the better burning you're going to get. So if you just pile the wood on the bottom, that's not going to be very efficient because there isn't a lot of weight for the air to get at the wood. So you, you generally want to support the wood and have the air coming up through it or down through it so the air can have good contact with the wood. So that means you either need some kind of a grate, which is typically made out of metal, metal bars or something, or they do what they call hobs, H-O-B-S. And these are basically projections from the side of the, the wall of the kiln that you lay the log on. So if I had a, if I had a wall, 
if I had a wall that looked like this, I'd have a brick that sticked out like that, and my log would, be, would rest on that. The problem with, with using hobs is you need wood cut to a certain length because it has to rest on the hobs. But, the, these, these, but in this case, you don't need any iron bars. They'd just be bricks or something sticking out from the side, whereas, whereas you could have iron bars that the wood can rest on. But you need something to support the, to support the wood. Great, it's grates or hobs. You also need an ash pit because you need a place where when the wood burns, the ash can collect and get out of the way. If that's the problem with a bonfire, is that the ash stays there. The ash is done burning and it doesn't contribute to the fire at that point, it's done. And so you need to get that out of the way. So you generally have a pit underneath the area where the wood is supported so the ash can fall down and get out of the way and, and be removed from the, from the burning wood because otherwise it just blocks the fire. So you need an ash pit. You also generally need, as part of the same structure, you need air inlets. You need some way in this combustion chamber, this firebox, for the air to get in and have access to the wood. And there are lots of different designs and different arrangements, but you need some way to, for the air to get into the, to the firebox. And then also, in general, this whole structure, this, this sort of source of the heat, this little sort of mini wood-burning furnace, you've, if you want to call it that, there are, there are different ways, different places you can locate that relative to the wear chamber. It can actually be inside the same structure, or internal, or it can be external. And there are advantages or differences between those. Between those. There are, frankly, there are a lot of really badly designed inefficient kilns out there that people build, and they're horribly inefficient. But for whatever reason, people like them for different reasons. But, but that's another point is where is the firebox located? Is it actually closer to the wear chamber, which is more efficient, or is it sort of stuck onto the outside of the kiln, which is less efficient? And when I'm talking about efficiency, this, this is a term that's misused a lot, but efficiency, what you really mean is how much fuel did you burn to fire a certain weight of clay? That's the best way to compare it. If you want to determine, and I've seen a lot of articles on comparing efficiency of kilns, and they don't make it very specific. And the easiest way to do it is, is if you can keep track of the kiln, the, the fuel you used, weigh your pots when you take them out of, the, out of the kiln, and you can say, okay, how much fuel did I use to burn to fire a pound of pots, or 100 pounds of pots, whatever it is. How much fuel did I use to fire a certain amount of, a certain weight of clay? That's the efficiency of the kiln. Because people say, oh, this kiln's really efficient. You say, well, yeah, and I burned three cords and I fired 100 pots. You know, it's like, that's not efficient. I mean, and by the way, I should have mentioned also is all wood kilns are horribly inefficient. So it, when we're talking about efficiency, we're talking relative. Roughly, in round numbers, only 5% of the, the energy that you burn goes into heating the pots. 5%, roughly, in round numbers. Could be eight, might be less. It's probably never more than 10. They're, they're all horribly inefficient, but we, if you talk about still, you, people still are comparing the kilns and saying this is a more efficient design. Well, they're all horribly inefficient, but what, which one is a little less inefficient? And, so, and that still should be based on fuel per, pound, fuel per pound or fuel per amount of clay. How much, how much fuel did you use? And it doesn't matter in this case whether it's electricity or gas or whatever. How much fuel did you use to fire a certain amount of pots? That's the efficiency. The second, the second major feature in a, in a wood-burning kiln is the wear chamber or chambers itself. What's the arrangement of them? What's the structure of them? This can vary a lot with just the geometry of the kiln. Is it low and wide? Is it tall and skinny? Is it deep? 
and I don't know that we have a time to go into a lot. We can, t- by the way, if, if, there's, if there's a lot of interest in this, we can do, talk more about this in the future at other, you know, other things. This is meant to be an overview, but I just want to let you know that the, the design of the wear chamber also contributes a lot to the way the kiln fires. What's the arrangement of the, the, the thing? Um, is it, for instance, if, if you have a flat top kiln where basically you don't have an arch, you just have some kind of a flat roof, those are less efficient because you get dead corners. Flame does not want to go, like if in heating, in heating up a room like this, the heat in this room does not want to go up into the, or go into the corners. It not, because it's, it's flowing like a river, so it, it doesn't want to just go into a corner and make a, make a sharp turn and leave the corner. It tends to just go, skirt the corner. So anytime you have corners in a kiln, in a chamber, they're not going to get as hot. They're going to be cold spots. So it's not going to be as efficient. And finally, so, and so the final component that you need is a chimney, and you need, with a, with a downdraft or a crossdraft, you need a chimney to pull the air in. And the chimney works the same as your fireplace. The, the, the warm air in the chimney rises because it's less dense than the, than the air around it, and the cold air, the, the, the atmospheric pressure, pushes it, basically sinks below it and pushes it up. Well, when that, that actually creates a, what's called a draw, or a suction, if you want to call it, and it pulls in fresh air at the bottom. So that's what's allowing your, your wood to burn, is the fact that the chimney, the hot gases are rising out the chimney and drawing in the air you need to burn the wood that's still in there. So the, the construction of the chimney, even the shape of the chimney is important. The, the shape of the opening, is it, is, it, is it square, is it rectangular? And especially the size of the chimney and the height of the chimney relative to the kiln are really important, are critical features. Because you need a certain amount, you need draft to get the kiln to burn efficiently. One of the problems we'll mention later is the fact that one of the big problems with some kiln designs is that the chimney is inadequate to introduce enough air and you can't reach temperature. You just can't get enough air pulled into the kiln to, get, to, to reach temperature because you can't burn the wood fast enough and enough of it. So the chimney, the chimney design itself is a really important, is an important component of the kiln. Basically, when you're burning wood, it's two-stage. You're cooking, the, the first thing you're doing is you're cooking the wood and you're driving these ga- you're distilling the wood, you're driving these gases, the volatile gases out, and those gases are burning, and then when those have come out, then you burn the cellulose that's left, which is the charcoal. And when the charcoal is burning, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very short flame. It's, just, it's producing a lot of heat, and it's heating up the gases, but it's very short. But the long flame is from the gases that are being cooked out of the wood during the early start of the, then the early part of the fire. Okay, construction details, some more, uh, just details about different kiln construction. There are basically two, and this is current, current designs, there are really two different types or two different categories of kilns that people build now, either flat-topped or they have some kind of an arch. And so there are, there are different ways you could build some kind of a structure and basically just have a flat roof, and it could be slabs of insulation or bricks bonded together, something like that, or some kind of an arch structure. And there are two kind of arches, catenary and sprung arch. Catenary arch and a sprung arch. A catenary arch is a self-supporting arch. I've built gas kilns and wood kilns, and there isn't a bit of cement or or steel or anything in the whole kiln. It's completely self-supporting, and they typically look like that. So that might be the arch, and then I'd have it over a base, and then maybe somewhere either here or outside I'd have a firebox, and then, but this is the wear chamber, it's a catenary arch. And a cat, the, the easiest way to, to, make a, to, to visualize a catenary, this is actually a mathematical curve, a catenary. And the easiest way to think about it is, if I take a chain 
and I just hang it between two points, the chain naturally forms a catenary. And so you just flip it over. And the, the, the structure, the way this, the, because of the, 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 the arrangement of the, of the chain, it's a self-supporting arch. A sprung arch is not self-supporting. So I don't need, when I, if I build a catenary, I don't need any support to hold it up. It's completely self-supporting. A catenary, uh, a sprung arch, I do. A sprung arch, I might have a, 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 a kiln chamber that looks like this, and I have an arch that looks like that. This, is, this would tend, when this, this wants to be pulled down by gravity, which means the ends want to, want to go out, I have to have some kind of support here to restrain the ends. And if I can support the ends of the arch, then the center doesn't drop. But I need some kind of side support on the arch, because otherwise this wants to drop and the, it, it wants to do this, it wants to flatten out. So as long as I can support this with some kind of, a, let's say, a metal framework, typically, then, I can, then the arch will, will stay up. But this is not a self-supporting arch. But so typically, you'll see kilns that, this is, in this case, I've got more of a box-like wear chamber with just this slightly curved roof, whereas with the catenary, I had the, the whole chamber itself had the curved roof from the arch. And generally, um, these, I think these arch kilns are more common than flat tops, and generally, they're gonna be one of these types, either a catenary arch or a, or a sprung arch type for the, for, the, for the wear chamber. And then the shelves would be stacked in here. But there are certain, I mean, one of the nice things about a catenary arch is by having this curve, it naturally, it's a good design for a flame because it, depending on how you orient it, the flame will naturally follow, for a downdraft, the flame will naturally follow the arch curve. So I don't have any dead corners. If I have a sprung arch and I have a low arch, this is kind of a dead area as far as gases moving through it. Whereas if I have a catenary arch, the flame naturally wants to follow the, can follow the curve. And it's a great design, for instance, for a downdraft design, to have the flame come in here, rise up, follow the, be guided by the shape of the arch, and then exit again at the bottom. One of the things to think about in terms of constructing a kiln, if you're, if you're building a kiln, if you're ever building one, is generally, and it sounds a little weird, you, base, you start with the shelves and build out. If you're planning on building a kiln, the best way to do it is, Assume, figure out what kind of loading space you want or shelf space you want and what the shape of the shelves is and then you build the kiln to accommodate that. It's much more efficient because if you're gonna be buying shelves and assuming you are, let's say, silicon carbide shelves, they're only available in certain sizes. And so you need to think about what's, what do I want my loading space, how much, how much space do I want and what do I want the arrangement to be? Do I want it to be a square stack? Do I want it to be a long stack? and then you design the kiln around the shelves. And this is one of the big mistakes I've seen that people build when they build a kiln, and then they try to fit shelves into it afterward, and they're only available in certain sizes unless you want to cut them, which you can do, but it's, it's not as efficient. So it really, I found, works better is start from the, build the kiln from the inside out. Think about the shelf space, the loading space you want and the, and the arrangement, and then think about what kind of kiln you, what kind of effects, we'll talk more about this, excuse me, what kind of effects you want the kiln to produce, and then design outward. Different kiln designs produce different kinds of effects with wood. They don't all produce the same kind of wear. So you also have to think about what kind of work do you want to produce. In terms of materials, one of the issues with, with wood kilns is they all need to be made with, with, with dense or hard fire bricks. You know, there are two kind of bricks, basically, that are used to construct kilns, what are called insulating fire bricks, which are these light, sort of crunchy, very lightweight bricks. And they're great insulation, 
but they don't resist ash at all. They'll, they'll just, they'll dissolve in the ash. So basically, at least the interior, the whole interior of a wood-burning kiln has to be made out of hard bricks or dense fire bricks. Um, the problem, and they're, they're great because they're strong, they're also expensive, but they're, they're great structural bricks. But the problem is also they're terrible insulators. They're horrible insulation. You need them to resist the ash because the ash from the, the, ash from the wood is going to land on everything in the kiln. And if you get hot enough, it'll actually melt or at least the ash will melt, and it reacts with everything that it touches. So if it lands on the bricks, it'll actually start attacking and eating into the bricks. At least it'll coat the bricks, if nothing else. So you've got to have, you've got to use hard bricks, um, which again, and the problem, and they, this, they means they, they have to be high temperature bricks. Typically they need, you want some, if you can, you want something that will resist, they're what are called high alumina bricks. <laughs> aluminum, ox, aluminum oxide, the short, the nickname for it is alumina. That's aluminum oxide. And if you get bricks that are high in aluminum oxide, they tend to resist the corrosion or the attack by the ash. So you, you, you can't just use any kind of bricks to build a wood kiln. You have to use sort of more specialized kind of bricks to build the kiln. And at the same time, they're terrible insulation. So the other thing is just about construction details as far as the kiln is, you need, if you're thinking about building one, is you need a shelter. You need a shelter over the kiln to protect it from the weather, and you also need and and you also need a shelter if you need if you're going to have firewood, you need some place to store your wood. So you need a shelter, some place to shelter to store your wood so that your wood stays dry. One of the reasons why you need the shelter over the kiln, among other things, is the fact that if the kiln is exposed to wood to the weather for a long period of time, the bricks will absorb water, and then you can blow up your bricks when you heat up the kiln. You can you, the, the the face of the bricks will blow off. If you heat it up too fast, and it takes a long time, the bricks are still, they look dense, but they can still absorb moisture slowly. And, it's, and it, you have to heat it up for a long time to drive that heat back out, or the, the water back out. And in most cases, you won't get it out. You'll blow up, you'll blow your bricks. The faces blow off. So you, the, the thing with that is you just, you don't want to let your kiln get wet in the first place, which means you need a shelter. Part of the kiln structure is you need a, you need a shelter over the kiln. Okay, just some operate, some information, just some miscellaneous sort of things about about operating a, a kiln. Um, one of the things with one of the, the different features about firing with a wood kiln is you have to you can't put all the pots right on the shelves. All the pots are generally supported on what are called wads. And if you haven't seen wads, I'll pass these around. These are used wads. They're just little pellets of clay. So every single pot you load into the kiln is supported on some kind of a little system of wadding or something to keep it up off the shelf. And the idea is these are, these are made out of different mixtures of things, but the idea is if these stick to the pot, you can knock them off the pot if you have to, or you can grind them off the pot, but they're relatively soft. They don't get as hard as, <coughs> and, and dense as the rest of the clay, so they're removable. They're also remo they're disposable, basically. Because especially like in this, like Mike's talking about, if you get a lot of ash collecting on your shelves, your pots would just be glued to the shelf. Okay, so you have to, one of the, if you haven't seen them, I'll pass those around. You have to use some, and there are, there are all kind of recipes out there for different wadding mixtures, and everybody claims they got the best wadding mix, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So that's one, that's one feature about wood firing, is all the, you have to, this is another step you have to do. You have to prepare the wadding, and then all the pots are supported on wad in, and so if you have pots, for instance, that have lids on them, then the pot is supported on the shelf, and then the, the lid is separated from the pot with wads. And you have to think about, depending on the size of the piece, how you're going to support it. If you don't have enough wads and the clay starts to soften in the firing, it'll droop. 
So you have to think about how many wads do I need under the piece and the size of the piece to properly support it, because you don't want it to sag and sort of bend over the, over the wads, especially with platters, for example. We hope you're enjoying the show. Please take a moment to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps new listeners find the show. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates as new episodes are released. And if you'd like to support the video and podcast production of the Potter's Roundtable, become a patron. Go to patreon.com and search for the Potter's Roundtable. Your support will help us achieve our goal of creating a digital library spanning the ceramic arts for use by educators and artists alike. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. The other th- another point in terms of operation is, I, mentioned, I alluded to this before, stacking has a really big effect on the flame path. And this is part of the art, frankly, of wood firing, is learning how, with a particular kiln, how do you arrange the pots in terms of size and width and proportions and the, sh- and the spacing between the shells? Because basically what you're doing is the flame is coming into the wear chamber and then you're guiding it in certain directions. And you, you want if you want it to go into past a certain pots or over a certain pots in a certain way, then you do that by, by spacing the shelves and spacing the pots and the size of the pots. And so if I have, if I know I have a kiln, for instance, where I tend to get the draft wants to go and I get a, a hot spot, I might actually put more pots there and, and, and slightly block it and cause the flame to go somewhere else. So I can, I can deflect the flame by putting the pots in there. Or if I have open channels, I can get the, the flame is, the other thing is, You'll see a lot of discussion. I've seen a lot in, in some articles. They talk as if the flame has a mind of its own. The only thing the flame wants to do is, is it's going to get out of the, it's going to take the shortest possible path to the exit. And so all you can do is to sort of divert it and slow it down and make it move around and don't let it take the straight shot to the exit. But in any kind of a kiln, that's what the flame is going to do. It's going to come in and it's going to head for the exit as soon as possible. And so. By, by moving the pots around and changing the shelf, I'm, def- I'm, I'm preventing it from maybe making a straight shot. I, make, I, 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 make, I kick it up higher in the kiln or I move it around. And so you're controlling that to a huge extent by how you load your kiln. And this is really an art. It really takes, it, it takes some experience with a kiln to learn what's the best way to loan this kiln. Where do I get the best results in the kiln? By how do I stack it? Okay. Generally, with, with wood kilns, you, you preheat the kiln in some way. And actually, what you really want to do is you want to preheat the chimney. Because you want to, in order, in order if, you're, if, you're just, if you're just going to start a wood fire, you need to have this draft to pull in to get the fire to burn. So I've seen people either, typically, they'll put like a propane burner in the kiln and run it through. And they're not so much doing it to heat up the ware, they're using it to heat up the chimney so that they can get a draft. So you'll stick a propane burner in there. It can even be like a weed burner. I use a little raku burner, and I heat up my chimney, and then once I have enough draft, then I can start to build a fire that's where I'm actually burning the wood. Other people might just build a small campfire, like in there, like outside the kiln or near the entrance, and let that gradually you know, burn and heat up the chimney so that they start to develop a draw. It's the same way well, like if you have a fireplace. You need to start a small fire initially to start some hot air mo- gas moving up the chimney to start the draw. And then as the draw improves, you can add more fuel. And then as that burns, it gets hotter, you can add more fuel. And then the size of the fire can increase. But generally, you need some way to preheat the kiln. 
And depending on the kiln design, you may have to do more or less preheating. If it's a downdraft, then you've got to do more preheating because if you think hot, air, hot gases want to rise, well, if I've got a kiln chamber where I'm making the gas come back down before it can go out, then I've got to create enough draft to pull it back down. So I really need, with a, with a downdraft chamber, I definitely need to preheat the, kiln, the chimney to be able to pull it out. Otherwise, the gases just accumulate in the, in the chamber and, the, and, the, and the, the fire won't burn efficiently. And so generally with a wood-fired kiln, as the, you can increase the size of the fire and the amount of the wood as the, as the draft improves. And what this leads to then at some point is you establish what's, what some people call, what you call a stoking cycle. For every kiln, you go into some kind of a rhythm that's best, that you learned that's best for that kiln as to how much fuel do I load, how often do I put it in. And that, and that, that, because what, what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the, the best amount of heat out of it, and you're trying to keep the temperature to continue to rise. And that's, again, this is, this is part of the art, is knowing how much fuel to put in and when to put it in. If I put in too much fuel, it chokes the fire, and, you don't, and it, you might almost, it might almost go out. If I don't put in enough, it'll burn, but it'll burn very quickly, and I might not get a heat rise. Every time I put a shot of fuel into the kiln, it burns, and I, get a, and I get a surge of heat, and then the heat sort of dies down as the fuel is dying down. And that, so I've got to get more fuel in there again to keep the fire going. So part of what you're doing is when you're firing this is establishing this stoking cycle. How much wood, what's the, and it depends on the size of the wood, what kind of wood it is, and how often I put it in. In terms of, again, going back to this operation, the, the kiln design and the size of the kiln, in terms of the heating rate, how fast you can heat the kiln up, the kiln design itself and the size of the kiln limit the heating rate, basically. I mean, really, really big, big wood kilns, you simply can't heat them up quickly, You just because you can't get them hot enough. So the, 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 the structure of the kiln itself limits how quickly you can, you can fire the kiln. I, I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in that there's no, there's, there's no reason not to heat up the kiln really fast. I'm not single firing. Single firing is where you basically, you don't do bisque firing, you put the pots in and you just, and you just, you're essentially doing a bisque firing in the early part of the firing. Are you, have you all heard of that term, single firing, or once firing? But, but, but where, where you're bisque firing, I've never seen a problem with, with heating it up fast. I did a firing years ago where I, I started stoking at 8.30 in the morning and I was at cone 10 at 10.30. And there were no problems, no problems at all. So to me, it was bisque fire, but to me, I want to, get, I want to heat up the kiln as fast as I can because nothing's happening while I'm heating it up. I'm just heating it up. So I want to get up to high enough temperatures where I can start to melt ash and start to get some flashing and start to get some effects, and then I can slow it down. Um, but, but, the, but the ability to do that depends to a great extent on the design of the kiln. If I don't have an efficient firebox, if I don't have an efficient kiln design, no matter how much fuel I put in there, I simply can't raise the temperature quickly. So I'm lim the kiln design has a big effect on my ability to heat up the, the kiln quickly. And then when you're actually stoking in a wood kiln typically, is everybody familiar with the term reduction? This is basically where you're burning a fuel, but you don't have enough air to completely burn on the fuel. And the only reason why you fire in reduction, really, is color. That's the only reason to fire in reduction. Because everything else is the same, essentially. So you're looking for different color changes in the clay and different glazes and ash effects and flashing and so forth. But, so when you're firing a wood kiln, typically, when you, throw in a, when you do a stoke, you go into a very heavy reduction before that wood actually sort of catches fire and you sort of, you're cooking the flame 
And then when it catches and it's burning vigorously, then you go into a lighter reduction. You're, you're, not, you have, you have more, you're, you're getting more efficient burning. So typically, when you're firing a wood kill, you're going between heavy reduction and lighter reduction. Every time you stoke, you go into heavy reduction, and you get a lot of smoke out of the chimney, and then, the, and then it sort of clears, and the wood really catches and burns, and then you get the most heat, and then you go into a lighter reduction. So you, you're not even usually heating in constant state of reduction or oxidation. It's alternating. It's going heavy, light, heavy, light, heavy, light, depending on how, on how you stoke. So you sort of get a wavy heat rise. Because when you're, when you're burning the fuel inefficiently, when you're not burning it completely and you're in re heavy reduction, then you're not getting the most heat out of it. So you tend, so you're sac generally one of the things you're also doing when you're firing a wood kiln, you're trying to balance heat rise with reduction. Because in order to get reduction, by definition, you're not burning the fuel efficiently, right? You've got excess fuel and not enough air. So you're not getting the most heat out of it that you could, but you're getting the reduction atmosphere, which is what you want. But in order to get the heat rise, to get the temperature to climb, you can't be in super heavy reduction all the time or the temperature wouldn't go anywhere. So one of the tricks of firing a wood kill is you're trying to balance a certain amount of reduction and yet still get enough burning that the temperature continues to rise. And that's one of the sort of the tricks of, of firing any wood kiln is, is that balance. Is how do I, get an, how do I keep reduction or, not, or get enough reduction but still get temperature rise? I can get temperature rise really fast if I essentially produce oxidizing conditions and just have a ton of air in there and I burn the fuel really quickly, I might not get good reduction. I can get a great heat rise, but I won't get good reduction. And in a lot of cases, people want the reduction as well, not just the heat rise. So the reduction in the heating rate, just kind of, I, I, I mentioned already, are affected by the stoking cycle, the timing even, um, the type and the size of wood, the amount of wood, and the air inlet control also is. In order to, in order to fire a wood kiln efficiently and properly, you need to control the air. You don't just let in any amount of air that wants to go in. You have to have openings that you can control it, increase the amount of air or let it down. Or, or decrease it. And so that's, an, that's another important feature of kiln design. You don't just have an open area where, where the air can just rush in. You, you have to have openings that you can close or partially close to control. And all of those affect the heating rate and the, and the amount of reduction you get. The other, the other, one good feature, though, about just about wood kilns in general is um, you can combine them with, with salt and soda firings. And this is fairly common. A lot of times what people will do is if they have a multi, is everybody familiar with salt or soda firing? The idea was you put salt, sodium chloride, or soda in, and you get these other flashing effects and glaze fluxing effects. So this is fairly common if you have a multi-chambered kiln, is to have one, the first chamber, let's say two chambers, the first chamber will be pure wood, and the second chamber will be salt or soda. And so you can, that's a nice feature about, about wood or gas, but you can combine, you can have salt or soda combined with it, especially in a multi-chambered kiln. And the last thing just to mention is, in terms of firing, is that you also, when you finish the firing, you, close, you have to close up the kiln really tightly because you don't want to pull air in and reoxidize a lot of the, especially some of the flashing effects, you can really lose them. Flashing is this, this, surface, this surface coloration, you, you, like this is flashing on a pot. And you can lose that, you can reoxidize it. And so one of the things at the end of a wood firing is you need to be able to clam up the kiln really tightly so that air doesn't get pulled in, especially when it's really, really hot, and, and produce some reoxidation effects, whether you have glazes or not. Some common firing problems um, that people run across. Stalling. 
And actually, it's interesting because this, this is actually a natural phenomenon that you're fighting. This is a law of physics that you're actually fighting. This isn't the fault of the kiln entirely or your fault entirely. And the fact, this, this has to do with, with, with actual physics. The hotter you heat something up, the faster it wants to lose heat. And so if I, as I'm heating up a kiln, I'm, putting, I'm, I'm throwing heat into the kiln, and heat is being lost from the kiln. It's coming up the chimney, it's going out the walls, it's going out all the holes. And the hotter that kiln gets, the faster that kiln wants to lose that heat. So I'm running a race, like I'm running a race up a hill, and as I get higher up the hill, the hill is getting steeper. And I have to run harder and harder and harder, and I have to stoke faster and faster and more wood and more wood, because the higher it gets, and so, and so, the, so, it's, so in a sense, if I didn't compensate for it, all kilns would naturally stall because they get up to a certain point. If I'm putting in the, the heat at a certain rate, at some temperature, that rate is not going to be enough to keep the temperature going and it's going to stall. That's just the law of physics. You can't get around that. Now, electric kilns get around it, especially these electronic controllers. They take that into consideration and they're programmed in knowing that the kiln is losing heat faster and faster as it gets hotter. So automatically, the controller puts in more heat and stays ahead of it. So that's essentially what you're doing when you're, when you're firing a wood kiln or a fuel burning kiln. Is you have to stay ahead of the fact that the kiln is losing heat faster and faster and faster. And so this, this thing we call stalling, it is a natural effect that, that occurs that you're, that you're fighting. And what you're balancing is, this is where I mentioned, you're really balancing then reduction versus, versus um, temperature rise. I've got, to get an, I've got to continue to get enough heat to come out of the wood to keep the temperature moving because a lot of it's being lost constantly, but I'm still trying to keep it in reduction maybe. And, so, and that's the struggle, is that how do, I, how, do I get, how do I keep it in reduction, how do I keep enough burning so that I'm overcoming the heat loss and the temperature keeps going up? And the, one of the tricks to this is, um, one of the, is called reading the fire is knowing when to look into the firebox and knowing when to stoke. And this you have to learn by looking at your kiln. You've got to look, you've got, for every particular kiln it's different, and it depends on the wood you're using and so forth, but you, like, when do you, you put in some wood, you stoke, and it, it catches fire and it burns. When do you put in the next load of wood? That's something you have to learn for how your kiln responds. And it depends on the size of the wood and the type of the wood. But that, this is part of your stoking cycle, is learning when do I put in that next, if I put in too much wood too fast, I'll choke the fire. It won't burn, it won't catch. And in the meantime, the kiln is losing heat like crazy. So while the wood is trying to catch fire and burn, the kiln is dropping in temperature because it's losing heat. So it's kind of like I'm, I've got to keep pumping the, I've got to keep pumping the heat in there at just the right rate to keep the temperature, keep, moving up. The minute I stop pumping that heat in, the temperature will, will, will stop or actually drop, and that's the stalling that people talk about. And oh, this is another case where also the kiln design is very important. You can get, I mean, I've seen some kilns that from the minute they were built, they had problems with stalling because for one or for different, because either the firebox wasn't big enough or they didn't allow enough air. All these other features contribute to that. Do I have the, do, are the openings for the air big enough to give me enough air when I need it? One of the things that's not about to think about with a, with a wood kiln or any kiln when you're burning something is, it's, it, 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 it always is a good idea, I think, to have the openings bigger than they need to be. You can always close them back up, but you can't open them up once you build the kiln. 
So if you have air holes, you have lots of air holes, and you have maybe even more than you need, that doesn't matter. You can always block them off. But if you get to, I've seen kilns that didn't have enough air inlet, and they're getting to a point where they need to burn a lot of fuel, and they simply can't get enough air into the, into the kiln to burn all the fuel, and the kiln stalls, and it never reaches temperature. So all these things, the kiln design is really important. Is the, fire, is the firebox big enough? If I have a huge chamber like this, the size of this room, I'm going to need an enormous firebox to put enough heat in to heat up that kiln. So just is the firebox big enough just to heat up that kiln? So these things are all important. Um, another, another, if, if not stalling, another thing sometimes you can get is slow burning or failure to reach temperature. You just can't quite get it up there. Um, it could be the things like the chimney height. The chimney might simply not be, might be tall enough to create a strong enough draft to pull in enough air to burn all the wood you need. And the chimney, the chimney will only get so hot, and then, which means that it will only pull in a certain amount of air, and that's it. It's done. That's all the air it can pull in. Well, that might not be enough air to burn all the fuel that you want to put into the firebox. So if the chimney isn't tall enough or large enough, that could limit the, the, the burning rate. Um, or as I mentioned already, if you don't have enough air inlets, that can limit the burning rate. If I can't get enough air into the kiln, I'm putting wood in there, but there has to be enough air to burn all that wood. And if I can't get that, that air in there, that can limit the burning rate. The wood can also be too large. The size of the wood matters. Because if you think about it, wood is only burning on the, basically it's, it's, it's coming off the surface. And if I put in, a couple of huge chunks of wood, that's gonna catch fire and burn a lot slower than that same amount of wood broken up into little sticks. Well, yeah, ultimately I'll get the same amount of heat out of it, but the rate I get it out of it is important because if it takes too long for that wood, that big chunk of wood to burn, the kiln drops in temperature because it's losing heat. It's kind of, another analogy I think of sometimes is like, you have a flat tire and you haven't patched the leak and you're trying to pump up the tire and the more you increase the air pressure, the more the air leaks out of the tire. And so you've got to keep pumping faster and faster and faster to get any air to even stay in the tire. That's kind of like what it is when you're firing the kiln. You've got to keep putting heat in faster and faster and faster because it's being lost faster and faster. The other thing that can even come in is things like how dry is the wood? Wet wood is really expensive in terms of firing a kiln because it takes a lot of energy to heat up water. And if you're putting in, if you're throwing wet wood into the kiln, the, the, the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to heat up that water before the temperature of the kiln will rise. I've got to heat up that, that, that water. That takes a lot of energy. So even if the wood is damp, that can, that can slow down the heating rate because I'm wasting heat heating up water rather than heating up wood. And that can, so that can vary a lot. Another, another thing that people run into a problem is inefficiency or high wood usage. You seem like using an awful lot of wood. Well, I guess this goes back to firebox design and the size of the firebox. Um, it also goes back to the overall construction of the kiln the, and the arrangement and the insulation of the kiln. Um, again, these hard brick kilns are horribly insulated, but even different shapes of kilns lose heat faster than other shapes. And a box kind of kiln will lose heat slower than a long tube, because there's more surface area. So it, for the same amount of wood, a, a boxy shape is more efficient than a long tube in terms of heat loss from the kiln. So it's going to take me more heat, more, I'm going to have to put in more heat to heat up a tube design than I will sort of a box design.
Um, and also, too much air. You can, there's actually such a thing as too much air. Aside from oxidation or reduction, it takes a lot of heat to heat up air. And so if I'm putting in a lot more air, into, letting a lot more air into the kiln than I need to burn the fuel, I still have to heat up that air. And so I'm wasting fuel heating up air. Aside from whether even I care about the oxidation or reduction. So excess, excess air can actually hurt the heat rise. Another, another problem that um, is, is hot and cold spots in a kiln, and this is very common with wood, um, and it also is very common depending on the kiln design, is that with any kiln, it's hard to get uniform heating of the whole kiln, the, the wear chamber, but it's, it's also very, it, it really is influenced by the kiln design. Um, and it's also influenced by the stacking, because as I mentioned, the, once you've got your kiln built, you're done with the kiln design. But there are things you can do in terms of stacking and other little barriers and things you can put inside to redirect the flame. So how you direct the flame with stacking or with fake partial walls and barriers inside the kiln, you can control, you can sometimes counteract some of these natural hot and cold spots. As I mentioned, like if you have a, if you have square corners on a kiln, square corners tend to be cold spots because they tend to be dead spots. So anywhere you've got a, a square corner, the flame does not want to go into the all the way in and then turn and then go out. It'll just it'll just skirt the corner. So if I have a corner, if I have a if the corner, this is this could be either looking at a kiln or down at the kiln. The flame is not going to do that. The flame's going to do that. So this this is not getting as much of the flame as 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 you know as if it was a curve. And, and also, and part of this is the fact I've got a long flame again, so that's part of the kiln arrangement, is where is this flame reaching? How have I redirected the flame? Um, another problem that you see sometimes in wood kilns is unmelted ash. And, and, some, some, and, and, and again, this varies. some people like the, the crusty look on the pots, and other people don't. If you don't like it, I mean, I like, I, like, I like to use glazes in wood firing, and so I don't want a lot of crusty ash. And one of the things, one of the either... One of the problems could be either the temperature is not hot enough so that the ash didn't get a chance to melt, so you were still accumulating ash on the pots and it didn't get a chance to melt, or the, the late stoking was too violent, that you're throwing in wood and you're stirring up the ash and you're creating a lot of ash too late in the firing to allow enough time for that ash to, to melt. Because the ash will stick, once the pots get hot, the ash will stick to it, but you have to know enough, enough time for that ash to melt in place. And so if, the, if you're accumulating ash and it's sticking to the pot right up until the end of the firing, and you're not allowing enough time then for that ash to melt without new ash landing, you'll end up, you can end up with crusty pots. And then the last, last thing, I got a couple more things, but then the last thing would be pots slumping in the firing. And this basically is, is the choice of the clay. Is you've got, when you're firing with wood, you've got to pick clay bodies that, because you're never going to fire to just cone 10. So you've got to pick clay bodies that you know can take you know, much higher temperatures than simply cone 10, because chances are they're going to see temperatures higher than cone 10. And if not, they're going to slump. So why fire with wood? Well, currently there, there, is, there is renewed interest in wood firing. This kind of, actually, we're going through kind of a renaissance right now in wood firing. There's, a whole lot, there's really renewed interest in it. Um, some people I know fire just because they like the sense of history and they like, you know, there's sort of a low-tech simplicity kind of associated with wood firing. Um, depending on where you live, it might be a cheap or a readily available fuel. Maybe, you know, it's that. Um, there's the aesthetic effects. A lot of it is, you know, you, I mean, personally, I like the wood fire just because I like fire. 
And I, and I, and I like the sort of the, and I, well, I like the idea that you can have this sort of this destruction and out of this destruction can come something beautiful. And I sort of like that. So I, I sort of like that, that I, but I, like, I just like the destruction. Um, but then, you know, and you can get, you get the flashing effects and ash accumulation and ash deposits. So there are a lot of aesthetic effects that people, that are kind of unique to wood firing. And then also, I think there's also the serendipity effect that with wood firing, there are a lot of opportunities to have ac wonderful accidents happen that, you know, and there's, there's a saying that's interesting, it goes back to like electric firing, where people say electric firing is great because it's so predictable, and electric firing is terrible because it's so predictable. And so that's the one, that's the good thing about wood firing is there are a lot of opportunities for sort of things to happen that you didn't anticipate and a lot of times some wonderful things to happen. Also some horrible things to happen, but that's, that's, another, that's another feature of it. Okay, the last thing I had, well, a couple, a couple more things and then some disadvantages of wood firing. Um, first of all, firing is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Preparation, you've got the preparation of the fuel and storage of the fuel. You've got the preparation of the kiln. Typically, it you want to clean it out between firings. You've got to prepare it. You've got to kiln wash the shelves and the posts. You've got to, excuse me, you've got to prepare the wadding, and you've got to do the wadding. Um, the, the actual effort of firing itself can be a big effort. The kiln, unlike gas kilns and electric kilns, the, the, the fire needs, it needs constant attention. You usually generally don't walk away from a wood firing. Um, and you, you often frequently, it's not uncommon, you need, you need a crew, you know. So it's unusual if you can, if one person can fire a kiln without some kind of a help. So you need a crew to fire, and, and, and long firings, you need shifts. So this is more planning for the firing. Um, and long firings are very common. I mean, it's unusual to have a firing that's less than 12 or 24 hours or something like that. Usually, you know, they're days usually. Um, the firing actually can be dangerous. The, the stoking, depending again on the design of the kiln, Stoking the wood in the firebox can be really, really hot. In some cases, you need you know, protective gear, but it can be pretty dangerous, actually, in terms of the heat exposure. So that's another thing. And then the cleanup. There's, there's a lot of cleanup involved after each firing, just cleaning the site, cleaning the wood. You've got to empty out the ash pit. I'm cleaning the kiln. So there's, there's a lot of work involved in wood firing. Um, building, in terms of building a kiln, um, in terms of disadvantages or things to consider, you need a suitable location. You need a place where it's a little bit, you don't want, you don't, I wouldn't put one in a place where I know I've got steady winds, for instance, that are gonna blow down my chimney. I want it protected somewhat. Um, the bricks are expensive. Bricks, these refractory bricks are three to four dollars per brick, and you might need thousands of them. You're gonna need thousands of them to build a kiln. I just built a kiln a couple of years ago, and they were $3.75 per brick. Um, and also, the bricks are not good insulators. So, that's, so that you, ha you, sort of, you at least have to line the kiln with these bricks that will, that will not be eaten away by the ash, um, but they're, they're also horrible insulators. The furniture must take, the kiln furniture, the shelves and the post has to take high temperatures. You can't, you can't assume that you're only gonna go to cone 10. So you need to make the, 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 the posts and the shelves have to be out of something that can take the high temperature. And you must have a chimney, generally. You're not gonna probably build an up to it. So you have to take, uh, you have, you're gonna have to have a chimney. The last thing I had here was just a few points to remember in sort of generalities. First of all, if you're firing, you want to select clays for, for two things, for temperature stability, but also for their, their response to the flame. Like most, if you're interested in flashing, certain clay bodies will flash and produce these colors really well, and others are absolutely dead. 
I've done, I do a lot of tests just because of my background, and I've got some clay bodies that at cone 11 and 12 do nothing. They come out looking like concrete. And so there's a, there's a lot of variability in clay bodies in terms of their ability to respond to the flame and acquire these flashing colors. And so if you're interested in that, that's a, con that's a consideration, not just the temperature, but, but how will the, how will, what's the capability of the clay to respond to the flame? Um, the other thing is that in general, when you're firing with, with um, wood, most pots are not completely glazed. One of the whole points of firing with wood is to look at these effects of the flame on the clay, in the Barrett clay. So if you're, gonna, if you're gonna completely glaze your pots, the question to ask is why are you wood firing? If you're gonna complete glaze every, every inch of the pot, why are you firing with wood? Because that's, you're missing out on a big part of the effects. Um, Again, these are points I mentioned before, but I'm kind of summarizing here. The, the, the pot stacking really has a huge effect on the flame path, so that's something you need to learn in terms of, of stacking the kiln. Um, the stoking cycle is really important in terms of getting heat rise and in terms of the amount of the wood and how, how often do you stoke and how much do you stoke. And it can even, I've, I've, I had a kiln that I was firing a while back where it even mattered whether I crossed the wood or didn't cross the wood when I put it in the firebox. If I didn't cross the wood, then essentially I was making one big block of wood. So when I was stoking, it was very important to, to, to cross the wood as I was stoking into the firebox to make sure that all the parts of the wood were exposed to the flame. If it all just lay parallel, then all these pieces were essentially just making a big log in the firebox. So just depending on, I could see the difference in the, temp, in the heat rise, depending on how much I crossed the wood or didn't cross the wood in the firebox. And, the, and along with that is paying constant attention, especially if you're new to the kiln, and reading the fire. And there's two things you can do is look at the fire in the firebox and get used to the ideas. When is the optimum time? How, how fast and how much is the wood burning? When do I put in the next load? And also look at the chimney. What's, the, what, what's coming out of the chimney? If I've got really heavy, dense black smoke coming out of the chimney, then I'm in reduction and I probably don't want to put in any, any, any more wood at that point. When the chimney starts to clear, and the smoke is dying down, then it means the wood is catching, and then I'm getting, I'm getting closer to the point where I can put in more wood. So you're looking at the fire in the firebox, and you're also looking at what's coming out of the chimney. So read the fire and read the chimney. And I, just as I mentioned before, if you're building a kiln, you wanna plan the construction based on the available shelves or the stacking space you have in mind. How much work do you, do you plan to fire? Um, and, and sort of, and so what's, and what shelves do I have available? And you want to base it on that, the stacking space, and also the form of the available fuel. What kind of, you've got to think ahead about what kind of fuel are you likely to get? I knew a guy that built a kiln that fired wood pellets, and he could, and he could cut the pallet, and he could basically, he could put a whole pallet in the firebox. So his firebox door was a slit that was a little over four feet wide, and he'd shove a pallet in there, and that was his fuel. And he knew that when he built the kiln. So, so that he, so that part of this is thinking about is what's your don't just you're not going to build a fuel a wood kiln and then go looking for fuel. What's your wood source likely to be? Because that might determine the shape of the firebox or the design of the kiln. Um, and different, the other thing, another important thing to think about if you're thinking about building a kiln is different kiln designs to do different things. For instance, there's a kind of, there's a design of kiln called a train kiln because it looks sort of like a train, like a steam engine. And typically, it'll have a chimney and then there's a long tube and then there's some kind of a firebox here, either inside or, and the flame, the firebox is here and the flame goes like this through the work and then up the chimney. 
And this, the, the top of this tube or the top of this long coffin-like structure lifts off and you load the pots typically down through the top. And these kilns are, I, I hate them because I think they're horribly, at least with this kind of a firebox, they're horribly inefficient, but they give great ash. They produce a lot of, because the, the ash is dropping down, you get a high, so if you like a lot of ash on your pots without excessively long firings, this is a great kiln for it. If you're firing pots with a lot of glazes, this is probably not a kiln design you want to use. So one of the things to think about is, what type of work do you want to make? Because that, that can affect the choice of the kiln design. And different kiln designs yield different, different, uh, different effects in terms of ash and flashing and so forth, okay? Um, Couple of just in terms of kiln design things to remember also is that preheating the air really improves the efficiency of the kiln. So if you can, you'd like the air coming in to pass over the coals at the bottom of the firebox before it actually gets to the wood. Because if I've got cold air hitting the wood, before anything can happen, I have to heat up the air. So I'm wasting fuel heating up the air. Well, if I have coals sitting in the bottom of a firebox, if I have coals sitting in the bottom of the firebox, if I can pass the air over the coals, then that's a, that'll be much more efficient. So a typical design, what might be, if here's my, here's the inside of a kiln, and here's my grate, and my wood is sitting on here, and this is, here's my pots, and the chimney is this way. If I can have my air intake, here's a pile of coals that fall down from the grate in the bottom of the firebox. And if I can have the air passing, the incoming air passing over the coals, so before it even heats the, hits the wood, it's gotten heated up, I'll get much more efficient burning because I, I'm, I'm already, I'm using the coals to heat the air. So this is, if I can design the fire, and then this passes into the kiln, if I can design the firebox like that, it's much more efficient than having just cold air coming in and hitting the wood. Much more efficient. And I also, need, I also need to have, this way also, I, if I control the size of these openings, that gives me the, the control of the amount of air that I'm coming in, as well as preheating it. And the other, the other thing I mentioned already also is different types and sizes of wood have different effects. They, they burn at different rates. Pine, for instance, burns a lot faster than, than oak, but ultimately pine doesn't yield as much heat as the same amount of oak. So it, the pine will burn faster and kind of give you an explosion of heat, but it doesn't, but by volume, it doesn't, a cord of oak will yield, a cord of oak will yield a lot more heat than a cord of pine, but not as quickly. So the type of wood also has a big effect on it. Um, and the last thing, as I mentioned before, is you also remember you need a, if you're gonna build a kiln, you need a shelter for the kiln and also a shelter for the wood. You need to protect it from the weather. The Potter's Roundtable is brought to you by Washington Street Studios and our patrons. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends. If you want to learn more about Washington Street Studios and shared studio memberships, please visit our website at www.hfclay.com. Thank you, and we'll see you again next time on The Potter's Roundtable.